You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. From the depths of pop culture rises a beast of unimaginable obsession to wreak havoc on the podcast of man. This is the Giganticast. <laughs> So welcome to the Giganticast, everybody. Uh, it's a completely fresh start to an episode that uh, had nothing else that came before it. Uh, nope, I'm... this is definitely our first take. Yes. This is wonderful. Yes. I love all of you. I'm Matt. I'm, I'm Jen. I'm Morgan. Yay! Uh, unfortunately, Quinn's not here with us. I love you, and we I miss you. I love you. you. Uh, and we are here today specifically to talk about something that I've been excited about. Morgan hasn't known a whole lot about, and Jen is uh, exploding out of her skin to talk about. <laughs> that's not inaccurate at all. No, yeah. That's that's fair. Which is a, sh- a short film called Howl from Beyond the Fog. Um, the Japanese title, I believe, roughly translates to, like, Land of Fog or Nation of Fog, basically. Um, unfortunately, I don't know how to pronounce it. But, anyway. Uh, this Get it is together, a- Matt. <sighs> I you know. had one job, man. Really, you had one job. I don't you live there now? You're both like part time. Really hurtful. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I basically do live there part time. I was just there for just shy of five weeks. We actually did an episode for Gigantic while we were there. Um, oh, that's exciting. Me, me and Toshi uh, oh. recorded an episode for. Um, <laughs> yes, Morgan found the skull. Um, I will always find the skull. The skull is in my room. For those of you who can't be here in person with us as we are filming this, we are filled in a room filled literally floor to ceiling <laughs> with every conceivable kaiju, dinosaur, robot, comic, and fandom element that is the inside of Matt's brain exploded into a room known to mankind. Ooh. Oh, we are just inside of Matt's this is brain. What Matt's it's brain the physical looks like. manifestation. It explains so much. Yes. So Morgan literally just found randomly somewhere in the vicinity <laughs> of where she's sitting a replica of a human skull. A replica, sure. We'll go with that. Um I love it. Morgan actually bought that for me like what, God, seven years ago? Uh, at, at least, it was, yeah. long, it was like two homes ago, and uh, <laughs> I use it for references a lot. And what you don't know about this story is that the two previous homes no longer exist because the sheer weight <laughs> of the volume of all of Matt's fandom exploded in the house, literally exploded the house. It, it, they so, no longer exist. That, that's why yeah. we moved. I'm trying yeah. very hard they to originally... live by the teachings of Marie Kondo. <laughs> it's just very difficult. I mean, I think and you so misunderstood you. the whole what it was acquire more things, right? That did was you the basic. We'll go with that. Did you read the book? You didn't. You didn't. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't no, no. A Japanese woman was it. talking, and I felt compelled to buy things. Um, I don't well, know she does is. have a website now where you can buy things such as spatulas. What? No, that's really a thing. Now. She started a website where what? you can Guys, buy things. We're getting off track. Wait, we're getting off we are. no, wait, no, Marie, no, no, no. You shut, Marie, <laughs> Marie. We had an understanding. This is our last podcast at the on the left. We uh, had open. an understanding, Marie. I'm so sorry. This so is why happens. did you why did you tell me this? I'm sorry. You know oh, I anyways, have to now so, buy okay. this thing. How okay. from the fog, How, which is an yes. amazing oh, right, the project. Movie. The movie that we just watched. Which Matt has been telling me about the background of this project since 
a few months before G Fest this year, That's I think, because right. I knew about it before we went to G Fest, yes. and then at G Fest we were like super stoked that the director and creator of this project was actually at G Fest and let us see a little what maybe five minute snippet oh, from it was like eleven from the project, yeah. And he was working on the project the entire flight over to G Fest, which was yeah. amazing, and was wow. all apologies about the fact that it wasn't finished and he didn't have the soundtrack put together yet and a few other things. But everybody in this room of nerds who had been sitting <laughs> in this room all day watching kaiju film after kaiju film. This is the end of the day. Mm-hmm. The second day, they were all rocked and super tired. Everybody in this room just lit up, was full of energy and excited and was asking questions and just super stoked about how amazing this project was, even in the unfinished, raw version of this this film. Super amazing to see. And I, like, the moment that I watched the project was beyond hooked, super in love with it, and have not forgotten how I felt when I viewed the first take of this project ever since. And it's so interesting to hear your perspective on that, because it's... As we talked about at length in the G-Fest episode, mm-hmm. you're completely new to this fandom. And and on top of that, it's such a low-energy film and low-energy project. And yet it inspires all of this immediate creative energy. It's interesting that you say that, that it's low energy. Like, A, I'm really glad in a way that I am new to the fandom because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of the preconceived notions... And, like, I guess jadedness that some people in the genre can have because they've got a wealth of experience in it. That's very Everything's true. new to me. Everything is fresh. So I have, like, five-year-old joy eyes when I see everything. <laughs> and I just see it because I want to see it rather than any preconceived notions. So I get excited really easily. But yeah. this project, it's interesting to me that you say that it's a low-energy film because this it, it particularly strikes me for its emotional impact, mm-hmm. which is exacerbated for me, because of the fact that it's it's in Japanese, right? There are no subtitles, right? So, and I do not speak the language, right? So, beyond a few words here and there that I can pick out, I relatively had no idea what the actual dialogue is in the film. So, it's all emotional response for me, and it grips me from the very beginning to the very end, and has me very emotionally invested. And it, it takes an emotional journey for me. So, that's interesting that you would say it's low energy when I find it very like emotionally engaged it works my emotions the whole time that's that's just so interesting because again you know you bring up this aspect of a being a somewhat jaded fan and i wouldn't really describe myself as a jaded fan there not are... you but but i know several people that all they like to do is get online and be angry about things oh sure you know and like all genres but right i i would call my i would say that i am i'm an experienced seasoned. fan i'm a seasoned fan thank you i'm a seasoned fan and i i know that there there's there's a certain way the genre has been characterized, especially after the boom of the 60s and everything that calls back to that, that is very high energy and very fanservice-y and very like, well, we have to have this in a kaiju movie. We have to have this in a kaiju movie. You have to have this. And it is interesting because this film actually hits a lot of the points, the high points of a kaiju movie without actually what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't, it, it finds new ways to approach it. Like for example, there actually is an artillery battle. Mm-hmm. There is a rampage scene. Mm-hmm. There is, there's even this, which is something, a, a low key, um, 
this low-key element that I think is so interesting it, that, that is actually a recurring element in a lot of kaiju films, but isn't super recognized as a universal trope. This juxtaposition of a human woman, of this embodiment of femininity and delicacy, juxtaposed with the large, more, much more masculine energy... Not necessarily literally masculine, but the more what well, one could consider a more masculine energy of the kaiju, of the monster. And that goes all the way back to King Kong. But it's just, it's done in such an interesting way. And to catch everyone up, I when I was over in Japan, I met up with Sato-san, uh, Daisuke, Daisuke Sato-san, who was the director and creator of the project. And he was very kind to take me take me to the studios where they made the suit. I got to put the suit on briefly. Oh, so cool. This 100-pound kaiju suit that I was really having fun with until they tried to actually close me up in it and I had a panic attack and I had to oh, get no. out. Oh, no. Was it, I wouldn't call it a stru- full-on panic attack, but I definitely was getting them heart palpitations because I'm like, no, 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 no. Claustrophobia started to set in. Sure. I think if I was a standing kaiju, that would be different. But a four-legged kaiju, you can't see anything. You can't move if you just you just it closes in on you and you really need to like you need a lot of experience if you're gonna or dedication if you're gonna do that yeah but yeah um it was a it was a tremendous experience i was there with um um morase keizo-san who was the actual supervisor of the builder of the suit who is uh, from the old days Mm -hmm. he worked on suits for godzilla and gamera and 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 he did veron veron is his baby um, he he built the suits for Baragon and Titanosaurus and Daimajin and a wow. bunch of monsters. And uh, guy's a living legend. And um, also a person who was there was the actual suit actor, the guy who is in the suit in the film. Oh, that's great. And he and Sato-san came to my birthday, um, which is very sweet. Uh, you know, one of these days he's just, he's just not going to come back. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he's come back at all. I mean, honestly. I'm going to... I'm gonna, it's because Morgan's not there. So oh, that was I... the correct answer. <laughs> I'll so not sweet. be surprised if you convince her to go over. I mean, Just saying. you know, it's not a bad idea to have an exit strategy these days, but we're not going to get into that. Oof, that's um, a whole other story nobody has time for, and there are beautiful things to talk about. Yes. So, um, as I, while I was there, you know, Sato and I hung out a little bit. He uh, passed off to me at one point. On my birthday, he brought me... Uh, in addition to a gift from Rasisan, which is super lovely, it was a piece of actual Godzilla skin. <laughs> which, oh wow. Um, he also gave me a copy of the film for us specifically to watch because he knows that Jennifer is a big fan. <laughs> uh, so, and he also gave us shirts! Which the we shirts are actually wearing right the now. Shirts we're wearing right the now. moment Matt gave it to me, I was like, well, I'm wearing this forever now. Yay. So I live in this shirt now. Thank you. <laughs> But yeah, so that's super awesome. So thank you so much, Sato-san, uh, for, you know, uh, facilitating, letting this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sat down and we watched the actual film. Now, the clips that we watched at G-Fest were subtitled. Sato-san, I think, translated them while he was on the plane. That's what he was working on. That's right. That's what he was working on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, this version we saw was not subtitled. This is the version he took to the Atami Kaiju Festival, which happened while I was there. No, I didn't get to go, because it was the same weekend as Tokyo Comic Con. He's not bitter. No! Not at all. No! This is fine. It wasn't like four or five of my personal heroes were there. Uh, but it was fine. He gave me a copy of the version that he showed at the, at the, the thing, and we sat and watched it. And 
it was very interesting getting to basically suss out the story because there was no, like you said, there were no subtitles. Mm -hmm. Like, Morgan and I have just enough experience in Japanese to be able to suss out the high points of what they're talking about. Some of them, yeah. Like, there were certain points where they're talking about, like, well, aren't you scared? I don't know if I'm scared. or And you can also tell, just given, like, what characters are on screen, like, the kind of characters they probably are and the way they're talking. You said something really interesting, kiddo. What was it about um, when you see characters that have a different viewpoint? Uh... <laughs> we, we were talking about trying to figure out the narrative of the story, and it went from a scene with the female protagonist uh, and then to a scene with the antagonists. And you made a point about how we're expecting, like, we've, we've established the female character, we've established that we like her, we're emotionally tied to her. And then to see the other characters, it's very easy to understand we're not supposed to like them based on their tones and the way that they were talking and... It's a very interesting dichotomy, even in the way that the the scene was filmed. That it was oh, very yeah. different. Oh yeah, I mean that that's a that's a tenet of basic good visual storytelling. Like we didn't need to know what was being said to really understand the gist of what was happening. We could follow the characters' actions. There was an obvious tonal shift between like how the female main character and the young boy. Well, not like a young boy, but like the young Younger man, man were, yeah. were talking to each other and sort of the emotional tones of that scene. And then we go to these three guys, and they look rougher, they speak rougher, they speak more hurriedly and more gruffly. Mm-hmm. So it's it was very easy to follow, I felt, exactly what was happening in the story. Um, I would have liked subtitles just for the nuance of it, mm-hmm. but it was not at all difficult to understand. Well, Sato-san is, uh, I believe, about to be shipping out all of the... Because this was originally a Kickstarter, and it wasn't even a Kickstarter for the full film. They were just kickstarting the funding to build the suit. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and he's sending out the the Blu-rays for the Kickstarters, and he's using my art for the cover. That's and, so exciting! Um, I know it is. I just made this art for him and for the Kickstarter because I was so excited about it. Because I met him back in uh, God twenty seventeen or something. I just met them at Tokyo Comic Con, the first Tokyo Comic Con where they were promoting the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And it's just so funny how all these different stars collided, or so to speak. Um, Millions died. Um, wow. <laughs> when a, when, a, when a star collides. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, oh, just to uh, correct myself, um, Matsumoto-san was the suit actor, um, ah. which I also believe he was a tech who just helped with the suits. Mm-hmm. And as it was back in the old days, like if you didn't have Haru Nakajima around to stick in your Godzilla suit or your monster suit... You and you didn't have one of his understudies. Uh, you got like a stage hand to shove into the monster suit. They went through like five guys in Gamera. Wow! Um, wow! Yeah, and people were like, "This sucks." Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, anyway, so high, high. Just, just so everyone has a general idea of the high storytelling points, high concept story. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, this young man, Aichi-san? Mm-hmm. Uh, Aichi. He uh, is called back home, and I believe this is just before World War One, or maybe right before World War Two. It's around the turn of... It's early in the 20th century. Or maybe late... No, be early in the 20th century. And... There, there are trains. So there, history buffs, whenever there are trains. There are trains and some electrical... Yeah, like, there's, like, electrical wires. Yeah, like, like telephone lines. wires, probably, yeah. yeah. So he gets called home because I believe his brother died. Yes. 
And his brother was essentially taking care of this young blind woman who, I guess, lived in their attic? And... Uh, that, that was the general feel, yeah. Yeah. And the thing attic is, dweller. Attic dweller. This, this blind woman has this friendship with this monster, this dinosaur or something that lives in the nearby lake. And... It's apparently blind as well, and it just, you know, she just has this relationship with it. And she's sort of introducing him to this thing, and trying to teach him not to be afraid of it, and um, unfortunately the villagers get uppity about it, and decide, well... If we just kill this girl, something will happen. Uh, yeah, I the mean, the nuances I'm, of that I wasn't totally clear on. Yeah, I mean, not to like justify their their awfulness or anything, but at the very very beginning of the movie, you see, um, and it's not clear what period of time this is, but you see like a villager dude like hauling a cart across a rope bridge. Uh, he gets totally murdered by this monster, and it's not really clear. I think maybe it's intentionally ambiguous whether the monster was just sort of like, like passing through. Or oh, it is blind. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. kind of passing through and just whoopsie-daisy, or if it was like a vicious attack, we don't know. So probably like the locals have their own histories and legends involving this monster. So they probably yeah. have their own notions of, of what it is and what it's about. Nebra, that's the monster's name, is Nebra or Nebula. Um... It's, uh, I just, I just remembered, I, uh, I, uh, but yes, uh, that's a really interesting interpretation, so, and they, and I kept hearing the words Kamisama, which means God, mm-hmm. Lord God, and, uh, it's something about, like, I guess if we have to sacrifice this girl so that God will protect us from the monster or something. It could have been that, it could have been, like, like, this monster is God's judgment, it could have been, uh, God would never allow something like this, it could have been anything. Yeah, uh, so, obviously, you know, we'll watch it again when the subtitles are available, uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's pretty clear what's happening is, like you said, these guys are the antagonists, and they try to hurt her, uh, Nebula doesn't respond well <laughs> to, to this, uh, shenanigans. They and... never do. No. And then, um... Rampage ensues, uh, and you know it's it's. Uh, my listeners will recognize this. Uh, the no, they'll know the name Daimajin, which I've said a few times already, which is a trilogy of films from the '60s uh, produced by Daiei, same company made Gamera, that are essentially samurai films that break out into kaiju movies by the end of them. This mm. giant stone samurai kind of comes to life and destroys a town. The whole thing had that kind of vibe to it. It was a much smaller scale monster. Like The monster wasn't Godzilla-sized. It was more like a dinosaur. It was just really big. And uh, so the, de- the miniatures were a lot more detailed. And um, that's another thing I really liked about it was, uh, and something that we haven't even mentioned yet, all puppets! Yep. All oh, the characters. We are haven't puppets. even mentioned that it's all puppets. Yeah. Like just and 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 I was sort of I was a little worried to be honest that it was going to be like this Jerry Anderson style thing. Jerry Anderson, of course, the um, showrunner for Thunderbirds and uh, shows that were like they were all puppet mation. Mm. Um, but they were like oh, Team America World Police. Everybody remembers that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nine Eleven times a hundred. <laughs> um, and. Uh, it's like that. You just have these kind of puppets that are just kind of like looking at each other and, you know, they're flapping their little mouths. This was much more like 
subtle and understated. Like the the puppets didn't move much. Yeah, they had no they had no um, articulation articulated mouths. Like the hands were like nothing was really articulated except for maybe the joints in the shoulders to move the arms kind of up and down. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was much more in the old style of actual puppet theater, like the small scale mm-hmm. in front of the crowd of children in the in the market square kind of puppet mm. theater. This this film strikes me the most, I think, uh, because it's it's basically a love letter to the genre of practical effects and the film style that that was born in not born in, but that was highlighted in like the nineteen seventies with people like your Dan Winters. Like if you've ever read the book The Road to Seeing, hmm. if you haven't, you should. It's a book by a photographer named Dan Winters who got his start shooting practical effects for things like Star Wars, shooting nice. miniature scale things and making them look big and grandiose and elegant, mm. but setting everything up. Book? Yeah, I will. Yes. Uh, the great. Road to Seeing by Dan Winters, who's actually, uh, he lives locally. He lives in San Antonio now. What? It's a big, gigantic novel of a book that, that walks through his journey as a child and his love affair with science fiction and that how that developed into a life of photography and... It, it's obvious to me that this film was was produced in such a way that it, it shows the love of cinematography and the genre. Mm. Like, there are so many beautiful artistic shots of the scenery or a flower or the bowl of rice or the details on the skin of the monster. And yeah. there are just so many beautiful moments in this film that highlight that love of the practical effects and that yeah. love of the genre. It's it's a love letter to the genre and it's so beautiful to watch. Like without knowing what the movie's about or knowing any of the the context, just seeing the way that it was shot and the way that you can take something so small and make it look so full and lush and grandiose just knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah. Absolutely loved that, it. That bowl of rice was upsettingly beautiful. Yes. Like, yeah. it was distracting. Like, every time they hovered on it, I'm like, mm, yeah, more. <laughs> every shot of the the close-up detail face of the kaiju with its mouth open, and then that beautiful sound effect of the howl. Mm. That, is the, that is my favorite sound effect I've ever really? heard wow. in anything of any genre ever. High I could praise. just have a loop of that sound... <laughs> And the the music of the soundtrack and be happy for the rest of my life. Oh my god, can we talk about the soundtrack for mm-hmm. like yes, three please. seconds? That soundtrack was minutes. fire. I could talk about the soundtrack for exactly four hours. Um yeah. we're not going to, but uh yeah, it was it was it went from this uh I think this one main track, which was very traditional sounding mm-hmm. and it had this very old school oh by the way, Bunraku is the Japanese tradition of puppet uh theater. Ah. Uh, yes, sorry, thank I can't uh, remember the name of it, but uh, there was yeah, there was that main soundtrack that was that main uh, musical cue that was very traditional sounding. There were I think two vocal pieces, one over a major action sequence mm-hmm. and another one over the uh, end credits, which are both beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think this the first one was actually partially in English. It was. I caught that halfway through and was amazed that that was the case. But God, just so beautiful the way that it integrates and the way that it transitions from a purely traditional piece to something that was very modern the the action sequence at the end had very modern music to it yeah. it was like a little synthesized and 
a very interesting dichotomy between the traditional and the modern, which is true in the way that it was filmed. Very traditional versus the very modern. Fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, I actually um, was... I, 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 that was one of the only things that I actually didn't quite agree with as far as a creative decision went. Uh, the soundtrack during the final action sequence went to this synth, almost techno. Mm-hmm. I felt like it didn't fit thematically. I felt like it was a little too much out of left field, personally. It wasn't bad music. It just was... Um, it didn't quite have the weight that I would have expected. Um, I, I can understand where you're coming from. I just politely disagree. It's it's so... It, it's just such a good song, honestly. Well, wait, wait, wait. What are we talking about? The, the end one that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Maybe. All right. Anyway, it's fine. It's just, like I said, it was just kind of this... Like, this yeah. kind of... That one? All right. I dug it, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? That's fine. Teach their own man. No, I mean, I, I, I just... For me, personally, I was like... I would have preferred something that maybe had... Uh, didn't... Wasn't quite so tinny. And... Uh, but it's it's fine. Uh, I mean, smallest of nitpicks. It, it, everything else is just, you know, fantastic. And as far as, like kaiju movies overall it's probably one of my favorites i've ever seen uh especially in recent memory i I think the last time i I was this entranced and enthralled by a kaiju film was when colossal came out Hmm. and colossal is friggin fantastic we haven't watched that yet nope we have not it's so good it's so good it's got my my girl in it it's so Mm -hmm. good though Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we have to watch it i'm down jen has been blessed by the kitty I have a kitten in my lap. Yep. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, other than that, I think uh, that's those are all the major high points. Any closing thoughts? Um, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from when you say you felt it was a low energy. Mm. Um, it To me, it wasn't that it was low energy. It was just a very, very quiet film. Mm-hmm. Like, there's only two... I mean, it's a short film, but there's only two songs, really, with, with actual music. The mm-hmm. rest of them are just sort of musical cues. Um and to me, the most interesting thing was the choice of the level of the different sound effects mm. because, and I'm assuming that this is because the monster is blind, but when the monster goes on the rampage, the cracking of the trees mm. and the other sound, and the rampage I thought was fascinating too because it wasn't a traditional rampage in the same vein that I've seen in other kaiju movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was enraged because, you know, they heard his little boo, <laughs> but... He was chasing, he was specifically chasing this guy, and I don't know if when he destroyed the little uh, platform that the guy was hiding behind, and when the guy got away, I don't know if he thought he got him, and then he was just sort of enraged, because I feel like all the noises that were guiding him as he as he rampaged were just too loud, mm. and like, it was upsetting for him, because he was chasing the guy, because he heard his boo, and then he was chasing where the guy was that was hitting the mallet against the bell, right. because he was like, fire, fire, and so that's when he went towards that guy, right. and then he heard the fireworks, so he was going back that direction. Right. So the snap of every tree and the crunch of every home was incredibly loud, but the monster's actual footsteps were very, very muffled. They were very silent. Me, me personally, I just found that distracting because mm. I was expecting all of the crash bang booms to be kind of on a similar level. So I'm right. thinking it must have been an intentional aesthetic choice. I, I wonder about that. Yeah, I don't necessarily understand it. But that that was a little bit um, almost off to me. Mm. But I really liked the rampage and kind of its its weird aimlessness at times. 
I felt that to be very a very naturalistic response. I was uh, I was reminded of Godzilla's rampage in 1964's Mothra versus Godzilla because very specifically in that film, Honda and Tsuburaya uh, directed Godzilla Nakajima and by extension Godzilla to be kind of aimless in their in his rampage because it was. The destruction came from the simple fact that Godzilla's was there, and his presence was what was destroying. He wasn't even really actively destroying a whole lot. His tail got stuck in a tower, and he just pulled the tower down. He slipped and crashed into Nagoya Castle, and just got mad and tore it down because he was he was like ah, and uh, and that is a is a specific approach to uh, a kaiju rampage, the art of the kaiju rampage. I think it, it um... ties very indicatively to the conversation of man versus nature. Mm-hmm. These forces are meant to be very elemental in nature. Uh, nature is not quantifiable. It's chaotic. It's neutrally chaotic. Yeah. It's not bent on a particular type of destruction. It just happens to inadvertently be destruction. And I feel. Hi, like, Princess Mono. Okay, how are you? Yeah, um, right? <laughs> like, this, this, it, it's a form of balancing out humans by the chaotic nature that is nature that's yeah. repetitive, but you get the point. And this creature very much embodies that. Yeah, it just, it simply is. Mm-hmm. It likes the girl, and that's it. It's not malicious about it, it just happens to be. Right. It, it, and and that's that also ties into Honda's original... Very oft-repeated, but I think very important quote, which is that monsters are tragic beings. They're born too big, too heavy, too strong. That is their tragedy. They are incompatible with our world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I know we could probably yammer about this for uh, probably another couple of hours, but getting late, my eyes hurt. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so let's, uh, do we want to... Do we want to each individually give it a blank out of 10 rating, or we yes. just want to... All right, so... Always. Jen, you go first. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, well, um, I really love this. I It's unique. It, to me, is kind of an embodiment of the way that I feel about the Japanese culture, which is very understated, refined, elegant, and deliberate mm. in everything that, that it is. I I love the music. I love the way they told the story. I love the fact that both times I've seen it, it sent me on an emotional journey and I've I've walked away from it in a in a state of feeling the movie after it's over. It's good. And I love a movie that can pick me up emotionally and carry me along with it. I absolutely love that. So I'm gonna give this a nine point five out of ten beautiful floral printed obi Ooh, i like that kiddo you got anything um i i really enjoyed it i enjoyed the craftsmanship of the whole thing uh you can really see the care and the love that went into the production um i like the the use of the puppetry that i thought that was an interesting choice um i personally i found the story to be a little simple it probably needed to be to let the actual point of the movie, which was the the production and the, mm-hmm. the suit making and, you know, the loving artistry that went into it shine through. It didn't need a complicated story. Mm-hmm. I just happened to find it, you know, pretty simple. Uh, but it was a short film, so I can't really fault it on that. But it, it kind of cut into my enjoyment just a little bit because I found it to be pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm probably going to give this like a six and a half out of ten... 
uh, foggy smoggy monsters. <laughs> <laughs> foggy smoggy. Um, yeah, I'm I'm probably gonna be closer. Uh, Probably closer to Jen's rating. I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, this is a, this is a, a kaiju movie that we are in dire need of more of movies like this, especially in this genre. Um, because this genre, and we need more practical effect kaiju films because, um, with Shin Godzilla and with Shin Ultraman, also, uh, both of these being very CGI heavy, um, the tokusatsu genre, you know, it's sort of... I mean, there was a time when almost all special effects movies coming out of Japan were made with, like, 90% practical effects. As or as recently as the early 2000s. So, unfortunately, that time seems to have slipped away a little bit. And uh, now a lot of Japanese productions want to look like American productions. And they can't. Um, and as a result, it's hurting their film industry. So... I, it's not because they're incapable of doing it. It's because they don't, they don't, the studios don't want to spend that kind of money. Uh, they're like, it's almost like they're like, well, here, make it look like an American film. Okay, well, we need, we need $200 million. Here's $15 million. That's what Shin Godzilla cost. No, Shin Godzilla was like $8 million or something. It was like astronomically low. Anyway, now they're here and there. We need more movies like How From Beyond the Fog. We need more movies like this. It, it's, you know, Sato-san did an amazing job. Murasa-san and Matsumoto-san, everybody did an amazing job. Um, I really want to have Sato-san on, on an episode sometime in the future because he's a really interesting guy. He worked on a, a couple of Gamera movies, uh, specifically Gamera the Brave. Um, I want to know more about his uh, history with working in film because... You know, I, I, I think of him as like an effects guy, as a guy who worked on suits and stuff, not necessarily a guy who's behind the camera, so I want to know more about that. Um, yeah, but I'm going to give this, uh, I, I, aside from docking maybe one point for uh, what I personally thought was a strange musical choice at the end, uh, I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10 um, suits that I quickly uh, felt uh, claustrophobic inside of. Um, Wait, but that's oh, a no. negative thing. Uh, a good thing. Are there are there you ten of those though? I'm not. I'm. I need practice. <laughs> you do need practice. Okay, Try let me rephrase it. Nine out of ten nebula action figures. Oh, oh yeah, no. give me that, oh, please. Oh dear. Oh jeez. All righty. Thanks so much, everybody, and happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Oh God, let's just get through this one. <laughs>